people talk today about uh, someone having a vision for life and you know, a motivating factor. And I think with respect to atomic weapons and nuclear war, this was his vision. This was what changed him and created uh, his purpose when it came to nuclear policy in the United States and across the globe. He said very openly, it was very clear, that the, the irony here is that the Hiroshima bomb saved his life. If there is a single policy position that defines Senator Mark Hatfield's service in the United States Senate, it's his work on issues around war and peace. And perhaps this is because his military service in World War II had a great impact on defining Senator Hatfield. I'm Kevin Curry. July 12th, 2022 would have been the Senator's 100th birthday. So this season, we revisit the moment of Mark Hatfield's 30-year career in the United States Senate. Our guides are the voices and memories of those who worked closely with him and observed his leadership. In this fifth episode, we revisit Senator Hatfield's work opposing nuclear weapons, his efforts to reduce the nuclear arsenal during the Cold War, and how his personal experience in World War II guided his decisions. As we heard in episode one this season, the senator's opposition to the Vietnam War in the 1960s was a defining position for him, one that nearly cost him election to the U.S. Senate, but also that drew people to him. His effort to make the world safer extended beyond Vietnam to work reducing nuclear weapons, stopping the introduction of first strike weapons, and principled opposition to the growing U.S. military budget. This season of Revisit the Moment is sponsored by the Oregon Historical Society. The Oregon Historical Society is dedicated to making Oregon's long, rich history visible and accessible to all. For more than a century, it has served as the state's collective memory, gathering and preserving a vast collection of artifacts, photographs, films, manuscripts, books, and oral histories. The Oregon Historical Society shares its vast collection through thought-provoking museum exhibits, and robust digital platforms. It brings history directly to Oregon students in ways that bridge gaps of time and perspective and supports lifelong learning through many public lectures and events. For over two decades, the Oregon Historical Society's Marco Hatfield Lecture Series has earned a reputation for hosting America's most prominent historians, biographers, and public officials. The series began at the suggestion of Senator Hatfield and continues as a tribute to his legacy of public service and as an opportunity to share stories of the people and events that have shaped American history. Learn more about the Oregon Historical Society online at ohs.org. Like most young men of his generation, Mark Hatfield enlisted in the military at a young age to fight in World War II. He joined in 1943 after graduating from Willamette University. His service in the United States Navy sent him to the Pacific Theater, where he commanded landing craft during prominent invasions like Iwo Jima and Okinawa. The late Congresswoman Elizabeth Furse, who worked closely with Senator Hatfield on peace issues, recalls the impact this service had on him. Well, you know that um, Senator Hatfield went, was on with the Navy, went in after Hiroshima. And... I don't mean to be sentimental when I say, when he talks about that, you can see the pain in his eyes, that he will never forget what he saw. And so he opposed nuclear weapons because he understood nuclear weapons. He had seen the terrible damage. 
and that is indiscriminate damage. So um, I think that guided him in all the sort of blandishments of uh, President Johnson of that we have to do this or President Nixon, we have to do this. He knew what it meant to drop a nuclear weapon on a, on a city. And um, I'm sure he struggled. I'm sure that that was a horrible experience that he had to deal with himself. And he, it, he didn't ever sort of make excuses for nuclear weapons. Um, that is, to me, I, uh, what I believe is what drove his peace activism and his ability to just stay steady on that. Prior to joining the U.S. Senate in 1979 to represent Virginia, John Warner served as Secretary of the Navy from 1972 to 1974. Despite often disagreeing with Senator Hatfield's positions on the military, he had a great respect for Hatfield. Senator Warner served in the U.S. Senate until January 2009 and passed away in May of 2021. Well, he had thought, and he knew in his heart what he should do. And I never questioned the wisdom that he showed on, on the issues of the military votes. He was a man I looked up to. There's a few age, little age difference between the two of us. And he had seen a great deal of World War II. I went into World War II, as did all 17-year-olds. It was no big deal. We were all excited to get away from our parents and the confinement of our villages or cities or towns and be a part of that historic chapter. So. I served in there in 1945, the last year of the war. And it's interesting. In the course of our career in the Senate, I knew a little bit about him, but I'd never known about the really extraordinary career that he had as a young naval officer serving our country in World War II. He never talked about it, and by chance one day, I was, of course, on the Senate Armed Services Committee and for some reason, you know, voted against it. He was a strong supporter of the men and women in uniform. No question about that and their families. It was his heart because of his own experience. But about the use of our troops beyond our shores, we had our differences as he did with many in the Senate. So one day we got to talking about what, what inconsequential role I had as a young 17, 18, 19-year-old sailor in the last year of the war. Actually, I was in recruit training when he, as a young naval officer, was in charge of a naval vessel, small, bringing in Marines, making a landing. Now, I'm not going to go into the details because he shared it with me very privately. But uh, I know a good deal about that battle, and it was one of the toughest battles of the entire Pacific War. And later on in life, I, for reasons which are not fully clear, I joined the Marines and this time trotted off to Korea a little, had another short career back to military duty. Again, nowhere near measuring up to the heroics of, of a Mark Hatfield. So he was a silent but genuine military hero and survivor of some tough combat in World War II. They never talked about it. An experience during World War II that would change Senator Hatfield's life was the decision to drop a nuclear bomb on Hiroshima. In fact, it would change his life in more than one way. Sean O'Halloran explains the first. 
Um, and I asked him, I said, well, do you think it was the right decision to drop the bomb? And he looked at me um, like no one had ever asked him the question that directly before. But he looked at me very directly and said, how can you ask me that? Um, that decision saved my life. Um, you know, there is no way um, anyone in the first, second, third, maybe tenth wave of people would have made it through um, the number of people that Japan was ready to put to defend the homeland. Um, and then he, he described a little bit of his position um, going in, basically being the first wave of troops to see what the nuclear weapon had done firsthand. Um, and, and what he saw was devastating. Uh, no other member of the House or Senate had ever seen firsthand uh, the destructive power of a nuclear weapon um, dropped on a, a city. And, um, and I think that really haunted him. As a staffer from 1974 to 1982, Jack Robertson worked closely with Senator Hatfield on foreign policy issues, including those related to nuclear weapons and the military. He relates the second way that Hiroshima changed Senator Hatfield's life. So I was an aide um, to Senator Hatfield in 1980, and um, a group of citizens from Japan came to visit him. And these were citizens that were survivors in Japan, uh, or their relatives were survivors of the atomic bomb, the first atomic bomb. And Senator Hatfield, of course, had visited one of the few Americans, the first Americans to visit that site weeks after the bomb had exploded. And so the women, most of them were women from Japan, came to his office specifically to give him a picture uh, of the bomb site um, on that anniversary. And their hope, of course, was that uh, an atomic bomb would never be used against people again. And of course, that was Senator Hatfield's principal objective as well. What was amazing was after they left, uh, he started, he took the picture and started walking himself back through the bomb site. And so we were, he said, well, I, I said, well, so where did you go? What did you do? And he was walking down paths of rubble and through broken windows and buildings. And he came across these bridges and he said, and he stopped for a second and he said, and this is where I saw the little girl. And I said, well, what do you mean a little girl? I mean, no one was around the area then, right? It was, he says, no, no, this is where I saw the shadow of the little girl. And uh, in Hiroshima, the bomb went off at 8.15 in the morning. The children were going to school. The devastation created by the nuclear bomb dropped on Hiroshima was beyond anything seen before. It was so great that people were evaporated. Now, people talk today about uh, someone having a vision for life, I mean, a motivating factor. And I think with respect to atomic weapons and nuclear war, this was his vision. This was what changed him and created uh, his purpose when it came to nuclear policy in the United States and across the globe. He said very openly, it was very clear, that the, the irony here is that the Hiroshima bomb saved his life. As it turned out, Mark Hatfield was on a boat entering Tokyo Harbor as the Japanese were signing the formal surrender aboard the USS Missouri. What he witnessed on the shore 
reinforced his belief about what an invasion would have meant. Because he tells the story about um, having come into that harbor, it would have been the harbor where the, where the assault would have occurred had the Hiroshima bomb not been dropped and had Japan not surrendered as a result. And MacArthur, General MacArthur, had indicated that all of the gun sites on the hills surrounding the entrance to this harbor, through which the American Navy would have had to go to attack Japan, all of these sites, all these gun emplacements, had to have bed sheets, white bed sheets, put across them to identify them. And he said when he entered that harbor, the entire mountains coming into it, both ranges on all sides, were covered in white. He said it would have been uh, a killing field. You know, a million people might have died. And he would have been one of them. He was convinced he would have died in, in the assault. So the irony of this is that the atomic bomb may have saved his life. And then seeing what the effect of the atomic bomb was on people caused him to devote much of his life to um, the elimination, if possible, of these weapons from the face of the earth. Attempting to stop the escalation of nuclear weapons in the world was a priority for Senator Hatfield. In fact, his goal, his hope, was to reduce the number and to prevent the introduction of new nuclear weapons. Rick Rolfe explains the danger new weapons created and the challenge Senator Hatfield and his allies faced. So we were building first strike weapons. They were designed for a first strike, meaning that they were designed to hit Soviet missiles before they could be launched. And there was literally a, a point of view that dominated the Reagan administration that you could fight and win a nuclear war. Now, if you looked at public opinion polls, we were in a dilemma because overwhelmingly people were getting very concerned that there could be a nuclear war, if even an accidental nuclear war, because there was so much saber rattling going on. Uh, yet, if you asked people, do you want to unilaterally disarm, they would say no. So the nuclear freeze really emerged from that perspective where if we were accused of being unilateral disarmers, we wouldn't have the American public, yet we knew that there was this giant concern out there to tap into. So Senator Hatfield uh, had written an amendment to the SALT II Treaty, basically saying, go back to the Russians and see if they'll just stop now. Because his perspective was, these arms control treaties are not arms control, they're, they're, they're upward arms management, they're upward arms escalation agreed to by the two countries. And it's not arms control. And so he said, you can't count on my vote for SALT II on the left. You know, I could vote against it. So we called that the moratorium amendment. Some grassroots people then took that moratorium amendment, SALT II was withdrawn after the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan. Some grassroots people took that moratorium amendment and they started, they called it the freeze, and they started to pass it in town halls. And Ted Kennedy walked up to Senator Hatfield on the Senate floor one day, and he said, Mark, this moratorium or freeze of yours is passing in towns and villages that none of my brothers ever carried. There's something going on here. And so they decided to have staff go back to the table and draft up an amendment, and then we put huge resources behind creating a grassroots movement. Jack Robertson elaborates on the increased danger that these first strike weapons would create during the Cold War. 
There were too many of these weapons, but these weapons were becoming super sophisticated. They were leading into the technology breakthroughs were causing the potential, the realistic potential for nuclear doctrine to change and for us to create first strike weapons, weapons that could be used first, eliminate the nuclear weapons of the other side. The danger of that is that if the other side believes that you've got nuclear weapons and they're 10 minutes away from a missile launch and destruction of all their nuclear weapons, you are putting your fate in their hands because they, if there's a mistake and they see a false signal, and there were many false signals of missile firings, they would have 10 minutes to decide whether they were going to launch their weapons out from underneath your perceived attack and thereby destroy you in a huge mistake. So nuclear weapons fighting questions were really important, tactical advances, and neutron bomb was a very small, very focused, highly radioactive uh, nuclear weapon that was designed for use at the initial stage of battlefields. It was gonna be fired out of cannons, and it was gonna be put on the back of small missiles, Lance missiles. And our argument was, and our Hatfield's argument was, that this was extremely dangerous because it lowered the threshold of nuclear war. It brought nuclear war down to a battlefield scenario and made it much more likely to trigger a nuclear confrontation because it was easy to use and could be focused into a certain area, principally against tank assaults from the Warsaw Pact countries. In their work to defeat the adoption of new weapons and freeze and then reduce the existing arsenal, Senator Hatfield and his staff knew that the moral argument would not suffice. Rick Rolfe describes their strategy. Another aspect was that we tried very hard to take these issues for which we thought there was a moral component, but to undergird our arguments with solid technical information so that we really could go down there and debate and know the numbers uh, and know what was going on, and we could hold our own. And that's part of what the nuclear freeze was. It was simple, but it was not simplistic. We could, we could look at the numbers. We'd ask the generals, you know, would you rather have the Soviet arsenal than the American arsenal? Well, of course, the generals would say no. And then we'd say, well, if ours is better, why wouldn't we stop now? Why would we wait for them to get ahead of us? Why not stop? And these things were fundamentally sensible. So his persona, our ability to have the facts uh, straight, knowing that if he went, if he strayed from the, from the center line, that he really felt it, that it was genuine, that he wasn't trying to get headlines, he was doing what he thought he needed to do. Everybody understood this. Observing how the senator handled himself during debates and negotiations, on an issue as great as potential nuclear destruction, taught Jack Robertson an important lesson. It's a lesson we heard about in other episodes this season, the value of personal relationships. During a break in the floor debate over the new weapon system, known as the neutron bomb, Jack Robertson and Senator Hatfield ate a meal with their opponents. We're sitting there and I'm talking about what was going on because we were having a break and we we're going to have to get back to the floor to fight Nunn and his folks. And Nunn, Sam Nunn walks in with his aide. And immediately, Senator Hatfield gets up from his chair and says, Sam, come over here. And, he, and Sam Nunn goes, Mark, I'll be right there. And he comes over and they sit down together 
and they share a bowl of Senate bean soup. While me on the left and Sam Nunn's aide on the right <laughs> are staring at each other, uh, you know, with daggers in our eyes. Uh, but it was just remarkable to me that, that Senator Hatfield could be so friendly and sit down with, a, with a, this, his, you know, someone who in a policy situation was extremely hostile, had to be extremely hostile because we were fighting about this major policy implication. And so none got up and left and thanks, Mark. And, you know, they were, they were pals from, they, they had, they share a Christian commitment. They had a, they got together for prayer meetings. They, their relationship went very deep. So it, it did with John Stennis and other folks who were ideologically different from Hatfield. But they were pals around that table. And so none left with his aide finally. And I looked at Senator Hatfield and I said, how can you sit with him? We've got nuclear war on the line. This, it's every, everything's on the line with this. It's a huge, huge thing. How can you sit down with this guy? I was just astounded and share a bowl of Senate bean soup with him as if nothing's happening, as if you're best friends. He even goes, well, we are best friends. And you are never going to be able to change policy in the long run unless you maintain your friendships, even through the most difficult, and particularly through the most difficult times. In addition, those relationships were important beyond the single issue at hand that moment. I think that he had to, he understood that as soon as he walked out of the door of that Senate dining room and we quit eating Senate bean soup together, he had to move on to a hundred other issues. And in those issues, the relationships he had with the Sam Nunns and John Stennis's of the world, by the way, who, both of whom were lovely people, personally, um, the relationships he had to have with them in order to create and make progress in a in hundred other areas was so crucial that he, um, he wouldn't let any single issue overwhelm a relationship, no matter how important the issue was, because he always knew that there was something coming back, including nuclear issues. I mean, you know, the neutron bomb turned out to be one of a series of big issues where we were fighting the same folks for four years on different levels. The free nuclear freeze was a similar issue, global issue. Hatfield, Senator Kennedy led on that. Sean O'Halloran recognizes what drove Senator Hatfield on the big issues and decisions he faced during his 30-year career in the United States Senate. Uh, he started to do the math and said, okay, one, um, you know, one warhead on an MX missile is 10 times more powerful than what I saw, and there's 10 warheads on an MX missile, and there's X number of thousands of them. I, I'm not for it. Um, he had much more astute defense scholars on the staff uh, than me, but um, it was easy for me to see um, on every issue where um, even it might seem out of line with uh, where he was politically um, as a Republican, um, there wasn't a, a single issue where uh, he didn't have a, a deep kind of personal um, definition of why his position was so well-defined. Um, and I think on, on really the big-ticket ones, um, there was always uh, something that affected him personally. He never used um, the story of what he saw in Hiroshima on the Senate floor or uh, to gain anything politically. It was personal to him, um, and it affected his vote. 
And, uh, but it was uh, another one of those Mark Hatfield lessons. Jack Robertson believes that Senator Hatfield's principled stand on nuclear weapons, along with that of his allies in and outside the U.S. Capitol, made a difference. The way history is told now about the end of the Cold War and the Soviet Union, which is a very, very good thing, is that strength prevailed, that Reagan prevailed, that uh, power and confrontation prevailed. And um, I think that that is right. We wore them down and we scared them. That and really the economic thing falling apart was the key thing. But what they, they won't, didn't say, and what I know to be true was, the nuclear freeze movement was so powerful, it provoked first Carter and then Reagan to try to go even further. And what had to happen in between the ramp up that was going on and the decision to ramp down was someone had to say, we're gonna stop right here and test the question of how big that thought was. So my view in retrospect is that we were walking up to a nuclear precipice. There was a first strike emerging policy. The freeze was part of it. The neutron bomb stopping that and raising that was part of it. It got everybody on both sides, I think, in retrospect, thinking, yeah, maybe we are actually putting our fate in the hands of others on a hair trigger. And that set the stage, I think, for what ultimately other people did was actually reduce nuclear weapons. When faced with new decisions in the U.S. Senate over war and peace, Senator Hatfield remained principled, but also never lost sight of the value of relationships. Bill Calder remembers a particular moment related to the first Iraq war. I'll never forget the time that he voted against uh, the first Iraq war resolution. He was very, he struggled with it, but he knew in his heart that he couldn't vote for it. He couldn't support funding for the Iraq war. Yet his good friend, George Bush Sr., was the commander-in-chief. And he was seeking the resolution from Congress to support this effort in Iraq. And after he voted no, he sat down and wrote a letter to President Bush, his friend. And it took him several drafts. In fact, I I have one I can show you that he crumpled up and thrown away where he wrote this letter to George Bush explaining his conviction and hoping that he understood his conviction and that it didn't mean that he didn't support the president and the troops. And it was a very passionate one-page letter that he wrote. And a few days later, a response came back from the White House that was more or less a form letter of sort, but at the bottom was a handwritten note from George Bush saying, Dear Mark, if ever there was a vote that I understood, it was yours, and thank you very much for your support. And again, that was a way, his way of saying, even though he couldn't vote against that, it was just a, against every bone in his body to support the war, it didn't mean he didn't support the troops. And he wanted to stay on a grounding level with his friend, President Bush. So I think that's the way he operated, and that was the way he navigated in Washington maybe better than most people did. As Marty Gold explains, Mark Hatfield believed the United States could be a positive force in the world. Moreover, uh, he was not an isolationist by any means, even though he wasn't in favor of military intervention. 
He certainly was in favor of America reaching out to the rest of the world, but he believed in doing it in other ways. He believed in economic outreach. Uh, he believed in humanitarian outreach. He believed in food for peace. He believed in health care for peace and, uh, and ways of trying to take what would be now thought of as soft power, a term that was not known during his time in office but is part of the lexicon now, and bringing that to bear on behalf of the United States. Looking back on the life of Senator Mark Hatfield, Jack Robertson hopes people remember an important lesson. The, the, the takeaway from Mark Hatfield is look at what he did in the span of his life. And my grandkids or your grandkids or others coming up can, if they believe he was real, can understand, look what one person can do with the help of everyone else, with the help of the people that worked with him. And that really is the story, I think, is the most important thing, is um, that this was a remarkable life, but it was a human life, a human being, a, a normal human being who rose to these occasions and created the kind of legacy. Uh, if Mark Hatfield can do it, there are others that can and will, too, in the future. He was on a path, I, I think, in many ways, on, on a path by himself were close to it. And we were with him. We were kind of stragglers along that path because he was leading the, the way through. So, you know, that, that does end up having an effect on your life. A no fooling kind of effect. Thank you for listening to season two of Revisit the Moment. We hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to check out our first season where we examined Oregon's historic 1996 U.S. Senate race the first all-vote-by-mail federal election in United States history. Revisit the Moment is produced by me, Kevin Curry. Audio production and design is by Matt Tibbs. Our production assistant is Gavin Pottle. We record at Linfield University in the studios of the Linfield Podcast Network. Special thanks to our sponsor, the Oregon Historical Society. Check out the important work they do preserving Oregon's history at ohs.org. This season is dedicated to the memory of Vic Gilliam, whose support for the Gentlemen of the Senate made recording these interviews possible. Remember to subscribe to Revisit the Moment so you don't miss out on any episodes. And if you enjoyed our work, give us a rating and a review.